Hey guys, welcome back to Mountain Murders. I'm Heather. And of course, I'm Dylan. No. Yeah. I'm just waiting for the day when you decide not to be Dylan. I'm just waiting for to hear the episode where it's like some guy's like, hey, I'm Ted. I'm like, who the fuck is that? And then I'll be like, oh yeah, by the way, here are divorce papers. Oh my God. I am taking custody of this little dead lizard that's on the shelf beside me. Well, yeah, you can have the dead lizard uh, wet specimen. I want the podcast. You can have the dog. I don't want that damn dog you just got. It smells. You can have it. <laughs> you, you're the one who's like, let's get a dog. I'm just kidding. No, we did get a dog this week. Let's just stay together and keep the dog and the lizard and the podcast. Fuck this podcast. No, I love it. I'm just kidding. We did get a dog. Can we talk about the dog for a moment? Yeah, I was surprised. You were surprised why? Well, well just out of nowhere, he was like, we're going, we should get this dog. I saw his little face and I felt like he needed to be here. He's cute. That's all you're going to say? No, I'm getting to know him still. He's a good boy. He is a pretty good boy. He's got a fuzzy belly. He's fuzzy and his hair, I don't really like long-haired animals, but we'll get him shaved. Well, we will get, we will have him groomed. I think we're going to shave the stank off his ass. <laughs> but he's very beautiful and he has the prettiest blue eyes. He's a little cutie. He's medium size, which I, he's still good to, you know, not too small to walk with, like a brisk walk. If he'll quit running in circles around you. But, uh, yeah, I think it's going to work. We named him Gacy. And his name is Gacy. If you follow us on TikTok, <laughs> some of you do. But if you don't, you should totally find us on TikTok, Mountain Murders Podcast. I posted a video where he was totally humping my daughter's leg. <laughs> yeah, so we figured out. And she didn't know what was happening. She thought he was like... Just trying to snuggle or, like, love yeah, on her. And then she snuggling. realized he was really trying to love on her. And she's, like, freaking out. It's yeah. pretty funny. So that's how we figured out he is intact still. And we'll have to remedy that. She's been very traumatized by that, by the way. Well, she's very <laughs> glad he's fuzzy or she's seen that damn lipstick run She did today. Her. And she was like, uh -uh. oh, my God, what is that? And I was like, that's what boys look like. You should stay away. Oh, my God. Forever. No, I didn't know that she got violated like that. I think I have her all paranoid now. Okay, so... Um, I think she likes squirrels anyway, so it's fine. We can need to get his balls cut off. I hate to say that. Coronavirus. It's still happening. It's happening all around us. I think I'm. I think you might be giving it to me. Right, like, we're, we're right now self-quarantined. Right. For the most part, right? Yes. Which is basically our everyday life. Mm-hmm. Don't go anywhere... Don't, and I like how the groups of people keep getting smaller, right? At first it was 100, then it was 50, and last I heard it was 5. Pretty soon they're going to be like, look, if you're in the room by yourself, get the fuck out. They're going to take it to like negative zero. Well, that sounds okay by me. Okay. Yeah. The government is talking about giving everybody like a $1,000 stimulus check uh yes andrew yang's idea of a universal basic income can i buy some fucking peace and quiet with my thousand dollars um no you have to inject it directly back into the economy um i'm gonna inject it into buying myself like a tent and i'm gonna go stay in the yard and away from all of you guys until you go back to work and they go back to school well okay <laughs> i'm feeling the love but uh, we are maintaining just so everyone knows what's going on here at mountain murders headquarters in the studio we are maintaining a safe distance from each other. So if one of us goes down, 
one of us will continue, be able to continue the podcast. As long as there's stories left over that Heather's already prepared and researched. Because I am suck at that. But you do such a good job. Okay, so here, and you know, I'm not trying to generalize your gender, Dylan. Oh, but you're about to. I am. Okay. But, there's always the but. A lot of our lady listeners, our female listeners out there, will agree with me. Men, you're not very detail-oriented. For example, hey, where are my blue socks? They're here, and you tell somebody, uh, they're in the laundry basket, right? You go look for like two seconds, and then you just give up. Yeah. I can't find them. No. But I go behind you, and they're in the most obvious spot. But they're not in there because I didn't see them instantly when I start. I need it to be on the first layer. Right. If it's four layers deep, then I'm probably going to give up before I get down there. And this is why I do the research and writing. Right. And you just show up okay. and look pretty. Okay. Right? I, I can keep doing that. Because if I'm like, hey, Dylan, let's cover this case, you should do some research. And you'll say, well, I found this one article and that was all I could find. And it's like, well, yeah, because it's the first fucking article that popped up when you typed in the Google search bar. Yeah, well, I Google tried it and this is all I have. <laughs> <laughs> so I think people will appreciate the hard work that you bring and what you bring to the table. And I think they can recognize and appreciate our what we both bring to the table. And that how you can't make the podcast moving forward with a guy named Ted. It's got to be me. But what if Ted's really hot and rich? Man, fuck Ted. What if Ted buys me a hearse and some new boobs? You can start a new podcast. You call my boobs, my new boobs? Yeah, you can call it that. My brand new boobs po podcast with Ted. Yeah, you can do rich people podcasts with Ted. Okay, great. Okay, so I'm going to keep doing mountain murders down here. Brand new Patreon episode. If you haven't joined us on Patreon, you'll want to support the podcast. Go sign up. We have various levels of support. A couple of bucks a month. You'll get bonus content. We just uploaded an episode on the Gaffney Strangler. Oh my god, you can't tell them what it is. Why not? Well, I guess you can. They're going to want to hear about the Gaffney Strangler. It's a great story. It's a great story. It's fascinating. I'd never heard before and I think it's amazing. Right? Yeah. We had a mini road trip to Ohio. We're going to wrap up here and get into Gary Hilton part two in a second. But So earlier in the week I was bitching and complaining because the only case of coronavirus within like 50 miles of us was a guy traveling out of state, came into town, test positive. Then he traveled somewhere else. Then traveled a few more counties over and quarantined himself or whatever. Yeah, how the fuck's that work? So I'm bitching about people like, fuck, if there's a disease and people are sick and dying and whatever, they don't go on fucking vacation, just keep your ass at home, what the fuck, right? Stop traveling. But then we totally made a road trip to Ohio this week. But we had But to. it was out of necessity. Well, maybe that guy was traveling out of necessity too. And it did kind of point out to us that sometimes people still have to move around in this modern society. And that we're assholes too. And But you know what? We're not going to mess with nobody. We're not going to talk to anyone. I'm not going to touch anybody. That's the asshole right We ain't there. even going through a damn drive through while we on the road, okay? It's a turn and burn. Because <laughs> I'm like, mm-mm. Nope. We're just going to pack some sandwiches in the car because I don't even want to, like, try to stop and eat someplace. 
So, uh, I don't yeah. want to be those people. I'm paranoid now. Nothing against Ohio. We love Ohio. I wanted Skyline Chili. She wanted to go have the chili, and now we can't go. We couldn't go have the chili. But Dylan, you don't even like the chili. Well, I like, I like the chili. It's different. It's different. You're just you're trying desperately not to offend our Ohio wins. I don't know. I think you <laughs> just offend them by saying that because I don't think that's how you say it. <laughs> but uh, the Buckeyes, yeah, up there, right? Let's just go with that. Um, I'm glad I tried the chili. Gary Hilton part do part do. Are you ready? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. When Mountain Murders last left you, we covered a bit of Gary Hilton's childhood, his time in the Army, and failed marriages. Schemes and scams up to the point where he becomes a drifter and has his first known kills of John and Irene Bryant. And that was horrible. Now, to get back into part two of the story of the National Forest serial killer, Gary Hilton. He's such an asshole. He's got a an asshole face he's evil though he's i mean just the way the what he does and how he does it not that any of it is, is okay but it's it, it just takes pure i mean drawn out torturous lengthy engagements with these people it's just pure i mean you just have to have not a shred of empathy ongoing in in your body I he's mean, a piece of shit he's a piece of shit and you're gonna find out more about why he's a piece of shit right now and let's do it. Piece of shit time starts right now. You ready? <laughs> Cheryl Hodges Dunlap was a 46-year-old living in Crawfordsville, Florida, where she worked as a nurse at Florida State University's Student Health Center. She was the mother of two adult children. Dunlap was an active, devoted member of her evangelical Christian River Life Church, where she was a Sunday school teacher, a prayer warrior, and had served on a number of mission trips to China, Haiti, and Mexico. In the aftermath of Hurricane Ivan, she volunteered her time and nursing skills in Pensacola. Oh, really? She just sounds like a really lovely woman. Yeah, who does anything she can to help others around her. Really concerned about helping others, which is not a very common trait these days. It doesn't seem to be. On December 1st, 2007, Dunlap disappeared. Before she was last seen alive, Dunlap had called a friend to make dinner plans for the evening. She went to Leon Sinks. She went there to read, and she was wearing jeans and a sweater, carrying a hardback book. Now, when she didn't arrive to dinner, her friend was concerned. She then failed to show up to church on Sunday, where she was expected to teach her Sunday school class. A friend from church dropped by Dunlap's house, where there were no signs of Cheryl. Her car was gone. Her dog was still inside the house. Her friend was worried. Yeah, I think her missing, um, especially maybe missed that appointment. You know, you're supposed to meet up the night before. Maybe that's not the end of the world. But when she didn't make it to church, which is a big part of her life, um, then I think that's when her friend became really concerned, obviously. You're calling. You're texting. You're not getting her. You're literally like, I'm going, going straight to, to voicemail. I'm going by there. Make sure she's not falling injured herself, you know, incapacitated in some way at her in her house. Her friend then filed a missing persons report. She then did not show up for work on Monday. Again, co-workers and friends very concerned. This is outside her normal character. Yes. Security video surfaced showing on December 2nd, 3rd, and 4th, a man wearing a rubber mask had taken money from an ATM using Dunlap's bank card. 
this is totaling about $700 over the course of these three days. So he's basically getting out as much as he can each day. The images showed a tall, thin man. He's wearing gloves, a hat. He's got the mask on as though he were attempting to hide his identity. He knew Dunlap's PIN number, withdrawing the allotted limit for the day with no problems. So it wasn't like he walked up, punched in the wrong PIN number, had to keep trying. Right, he walks straight up, pops the card in, first try gets the number, takes out the money he want, he can, every dime he can get, probably. And exactly. Yeah. After taking money out for three days, the men never returned to the ATM location again. And uh, they did have law enforcement set up watching this ATM, hoping that he might return. So was it, uh, he took it out, the three withdrawals were from the same location? Yes. Wow. Cheryl's Camry was discovered abandoned near the Apalachicola National Forest. <laughs> Probably butchering that. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you did, just like a side of beef. It's on Crawfordsville Highway, <laughs> and it was discovered on December the 3rd. The tires were slashed and later identified as bayonet punctures. Her purse was recovered in the car, but no money was inside. It appeared as though the car had been driven into the woods, like off the road, and then the tires had been slashed. Well, that's interesting they could nail it down to a damn bayonet. We'll get on to more of that later. Okay. Let's talk a moment about the Apalachicola National Forest, <laughs> because I'm not familiar with Florida, having really only kind of spent time in like the southern parts of Florida, the Keys, the Everglades, Miami, Fort Lauderdale. So yeah. I didn't know much about this. It's located in the Florida Panhandle, very close to like the Alabama line. Okay. Like in that you know part of Florida, a lot of old growth pond cypresses. Some wetlands, sand hills, coastal pine flatlands. I mean, it looks really beautiful. It is beautiful. It is beautiful. Like you said, I've always heard of the Everglades, obviously the beaches, things like that, the Gulf side of Florida. But uh, I found uh, what little I did look through the images from this area. It is gorgeous. It looks really pretty. I mean, like a kind of spot where you would want to take a kayak. Definitely. Go out on the water. Yeah. I don't know if there were gators there. <laughs> no, I don't know. But it know. looks like quite a few lakes. Yeah, and I think you're going to find some areas there where the brackish water, if I'm saying that correctly, where the you know, salt and the fresh water is mixing together. Yeah, it did describe like some swampy yeah. areas. Yeah, it's beautiful. But really beautiful. And again, it's on the Gulf, Gulf Coast of Florida and very close to the Alabama line. And I mentioned that because of the geography. Because if you remember, Gary Hilton likes the national forests. He's been... In Georgia, he's been up to North Carolina, into Tennessee, and now we're back in this Florida area, but very close to Alabama, Georgia. So it's, uh, he moves around he between does. four or five states, it seems, and uh, which I guess from his view, point of view is smart, but he always, always goes back to the, the national forest nearest him. He loves being in the woods. Searchers poured around the wooded area where her Camry was left, but they couldn't find Cheryl at all. It was on December 15th that hunters in the forest in an area called Bloxham Cutoff Road noticed buzzards. Well, that's not good. Upon closer inspection, the birds were flying over and then stopping landing down like picking at the body of a female. I would hate to discover that. 
the head and hands were missing from the body. Who could? Oh my God. Not only are you stumbling upon this a body, dead body, which has been out in the elements for some days. So, yeah, nature's to taking the its course. point that you've got buzzards in the Florida heat picking at this body. Oh I mean, God. that's pretty fucking horrific, right? But then it ain't got no head or hands. Well, we've said it before. You know, people to cut parts off of other humans are. It's a whole nother level. Yeah, crazy. dismemberment is like next level. It is. Psychopath. It definitely is. Muscle samples had to be used to identify the body because it was so decomposed. So they couldn't even get proper DNA. They had to dig on down and get muscle tissue. The autopsy revealed the dismemberment had been done with a sharp instrument post-mortem. Okay. Now remember, we were talking about a bayonet. Yeah. Punctures. I don't know if that sharp instrument could be this bayonet, but possibly. Okay. It was not until January 9th, 2008, that investigators recovered charred bone fragments, believing to be her head and hands, in a fire pit at Joe Thomas Campsite. It was like a campground, which was about seven miles from where her body, like the torso and legs, were discovered. Okay, so whom, whomever, is that right? Is that proper English? Sure. Whoever did this took the hands and head and took it somewhere else and tried to destroy it. Yes, in a fire pit. Okay. At a blasted campground. Well, hey, what you guys over there grilling? Because it sure does smell different. Well, it's just, I mean... Not that we often discuss a lot of, like, super intelligent, like, perfect types of criminals who can get away with murder. Clearly, they don't. We're talking about them for the most part. Right. But it's like, if you are preying on people in the National Forest, this is your shtick, this is your gimmick, you're just sort of telling on yourself by, like, burning this stuff in a fire pit in a campground Near the body. Because then it's like, well, automatically investigators are going to be thinking that this is someone who's an outdoors enthusiast. Well, at least they know they camp that time. traveling in campgrounds. And so there's this other murder. It just seems to me it would be an easy way to connect dots. That if you were a really smart criminal, you would try to not do that. Make it so easy. Well, I guess, you know, a lot of times these people think they're being smart and cunning. And, uh... You know, I'm curious to, I'm curious um, how they found the bones, you know, in that little fire pit. If they're that good of investigators, if they threw their net that wide, or if possibly another camper, you know, thought, heard of the ruckus down the road, if you will, you know, knew that they found a body and someone else used the pit and then, you know, seen what they thought was bones. I'm not exactly sure. I did not find information about how exactly they discovered these bones. But I can tell you that no DNA could be recovered from the remains. Okay. Because they were so badly like charred and burned. But forensic experts said it was belonging to a small adult. Okay, so they have a, a good idea these bones, they're human. They did belong to a, a small adult. Yes. And so um, kind of uh, the crazy-ass killer person kind of achieved their goal to a degree. To a degree. 
Should have gathered them bone scraps up, though. Witnesses would place Hilton in the area at the time of Dunlap's disappearance. He was seen on L.L. Wallace. I started to say Walrus. It's Wallace. (laughs) Witnesses would place Hilton in the area at the time of Dunlap's disappearance. He was seen on L.L. Wallace. Why do I keep wanting to call this Walrus Road? It's L.L. Wallace Road. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. One more time. (laughs) Okay. You got it. You got this. Well, no, I'm just going to keep this in. We're not editing this out because okay. our listeners need to hear that I apparently want to call it L.L. Walrus Road by a man who Hilton had asked to jump him off. Apparently, his white Chevy Astrovan had a dead battery. Yeah, because he's probably a dumbass and left the lights on. Probably. There was also a second individual who came forward later and said he had asked for help and they denied Helping him. Yeah, because he looks fucking evil and crazy. Another woman saw Hilton rummaging through a white Toyota Camry on the side of the highway on December 1st. Others placed him near Bloxham Cutoff where Dunlap's body was dumped. Oh, well, that's a lot of information there. After Dunlap's murder, Hilton was on the road again, making his way into Georgia. We should talk for a moment about another body that was discovered. This has not been directly tied to Hilton, but the similarities, haunting. Uh, Very much so. Michael Scott Lois was a 27-year-old man from South Daytona. On December 6th of 2007, a fisherman found the torso and legs of a man in several plastic trash bags on the bank of the Tomoka River State Park, which is near Ormond Beach. His firebird, and this is Michael Scott Lois's firebird, was found in the parking lot of his apartment complex. The keys were in the ignition. Inside his car was unwashed laundry and two guitars. Yes, yeah, is a very strange, very strange story connected to him. And I mentioned the unwashed laundry, the two guitars, because it was not like, it didn't have the appearance of this guy just like up and left. Right. He's had- got his dirty laundry in the car as if he's about to, you know, go do his laundry. And he leaves behind his two guitars, which was, Very unusual because his friends described him as a very serious musician. Yeah, so if he's taken off, if he can't carry anything else, he's taking his damn guitars with him. He was also described by friends as having like this great sense of humor. He made everybody laugh. He was just like this really fun, cool guy to be around. He did impersonations. Like impressions of famous people. Yeah. His best were of Michael Jackson and Marilyn Manson, <laughs> which is kind of funny because you really couldn't get far further away on a spectrum. Right. Of like doing those impressions. So I would enjoy seeing what that was like. He lived for music and loved his Firebird. It was like an older model Firebird. It was his baby. Well, that sounds like a badass car. Right. And so that was the other thing. If he was going to just like up and leave, he's not going to leave his fucking car behind. He has two favorite things. Exactly. Now, his head hands were never found. Well, I mean, that's strikingly similar to the um, the state that um, the other body was found in. Right. Yeah. And they did, I, you know, after some time, they did identify these body parts as belonging to Michael Scott Lois. And although Hilton was never formally charged in Lois's death, again, eerily similar to Cheryl Dunlap. Now, this is an interesting kind of side note, I guess. There was a woman named Nelsie Tetley. 
Yeah, this is where it gets weird with Mr. Uh, Mr. Scott or and, Mr. Lewis. Right, and that's just such a strange name to me, Nelsie Tetley. That sounds like a character in like an English children's novel. Ooh, Nelsie Tetley. Like the evil school marm. Ooh, the school marm. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> meat and potatoes. Well, Nelsie Tetley um, was charged with dismembering her boyfriend in Florida later. I believe it was in like 2017 or 16 or 17. I mean, it was like much later. Right, but... Uh, but she's considered a person of interest in the Lois case as well. Yes, because uh, she had connection, if I'm not mistaken, she was his girlfriend to some degree. Or they had... Am I wrong on that? They seem to have some sort of connection, relationship. I don't know exactly if it was like a romantic thing, if they would hang out or they hooked right. up, but they did know each other. Right, and I think that was, the um, though, strikingly similar to, uh, was it Dunlap? Yes. Cheryl Dunlap's body being discovered in the same state. One of the biggest reasons that other people say no um we don't think it's gary hilton is because of his connection to miss tetley because she literally did the same damn thing to someone else years later i also should mention and i didn't keep track of the name but pretty quickly after they found cheryl dunlap's body there were other body parts discovered that belonged to another missing woman Really? That were dumped up near the Alabama line. Wow. Right. Wow. And so some websites listed that as a possible Hilton connection. Right. But again, I didn't write the name down. But I'm just like, what the fuck, Florida? Why are there all these like heads and hands and torsos just floating around? Well, you know what they say. No, I don't. Well, I mean, all the Florida man, Florida man articles, <laughs> all the crazy shit. <laughs> of course, we know it's because of their, you know, the Freedom of Information Act and a lot of the court records get out. And a lot of this crazy shit happens other places. You just know it happens in Florida because we get the information. Between December 18th, 2007 and January 1st of 2008, Hilton was hanging out in Georgia. And he kidnaps a hiker named Meredith Emerson. Now, this is a story that is pretty harrowing story. And this is probably the most famous or well-known vic uh, victims when it comes to Hilton. It certainly is because uh, this is the one that definitely had the most articles and information and documentaries and, and you know things like that. Emerson was a 24-year-old who grew up in Holly Springs, North Carolina, a suburb of Raleigh, and Longmont, Colorado. She was an honors graduate of the University of Georgia, where she studied French. She was living in Beaufort, Georgia, and decided to go for a hike on what is known as Blood Mountain. And this would have been New Year's Day, January 1st, 2008. Blood Mountain is a popular spot for hiking and is the highest elevation summit on the Appalachian Trail in Georgia. Meredith hit the trail with her dog, Ella. Both were experienced hikers, Meredith would often take Ella along on hikes. They were always outdoors together. It was supposed to be a day hike only. Get out in nature, breathe some fresh air. Great way to kick off a new year. Right. A hiker named Seth Blankenship stumbled upon what looked like a fight scene on the trail. It was afternoon. The trail looked torn up. 
A water bottle was discarded along with sunglasses, a leather dog leash, a police baton, and a woman's hair clip. He had seen Meredith, a young woman, moments earlier with an older man. She had been carrying the leather leash and the older man had the baton in his hand. Here this guy is and he's seeing this scene on the trail where it appears there was some kind of scuffle. Those items are just laying there. So uh, not long before he saw the two literally had those items on their person. Yes. Okay, now that would freak me the hell out. Seth is kind of evaluating the situation. I mean, you stumble upon this, you're like, what the fuck, right? Yeah. So he's just like looking around, trying to figure out what he should do, when another hiker named Bill Clawson approached. Well, the two discuss this scene, both agree that something is not right. Right. Bill helped gather the items, which he would take to a nearby store to turn in. Almost like a lost and found type of thing. Meredith was spotted with this older man on the spur trail connecting to the Appalachian Trail, um, which was by the Byron Herbert Reese parking lot. And that's where her car is parked. Hilton targeted Emerson on the trail, deciding that she would be an easy victim. Yeah, well, you see a woman. Because she was a woman. By herself. Nothing but, you know, has her dog. And I'm going to guess her dog uh, wasn't very, you know, a big gnarly mean looking dog just you know typical dog regular looking now for a time Hilton and Emerson were kind of hiking together along the trail but he's 61 years old and he couldn't keep up with her she's a very athletic female he waited for her to return like down the trail he let her go on ahead you know when she gets to the top she comes back down he's waiting he's got a military style knife he demands her ATM card. Meredith was not about to be a victim. Her instincts kicked in and she grabbed the knife from Hilton. He then grabs his baton and the two get into this struggle, this fight. Well, yeah, I listened to an interview with Hilton. She literally went to kicking his ass. She about got up, got out on him. I mean, he, all, he, he admits that if he didn't do something quick and something drastic, she was going to kick his ass. And we'll get into this a little bit more, but she had a fairly extensive background in martial arts training. Yeah, I believe it was Aikido. And she was like, fuck this. She's fit. She's confident. And that's what everyone says about her. You know, she wasn't um, timid. She was not going to wilt away and let this happen. No, she was going to do everything in her power to stop him. By January the 2nd, 2008, her friends began worrying about her. Meredith's roommate... Noted she hadn't come home. No one had heard from her. She was only supposed to be gone for the day. She's worried. She calls Meredith's boyfriend. And he was very concerned. Yeah, as you can imagine. I'm sure this is way out of character for her. He immediately hops in his vehicle and drives to Blood Mountain just in a frenzy. Like as fast as he can to search for her. I'm sure thoughts are racing through his mind. Maybe she had gotten snowed in. Had to spend the night in the car. Right, or she's hurt. Maybe it was something else. She sprained an ankle. She got lost wandering off the trail. Had a flat tire. But he arrived at the parking lot. Her car is still there, but there is no sign of Meredith. He phones authorities, and they list her as an overdue hiker. Oh, okay, so their first thought is lost, 
injured, the, you know, things. Because that happens. It happens a lot on the trails all around America. It does. Well, the two men who'd seen Meredith on the trail recognize her on the news. Media pretty quickly jumps on this. Even though she's only listed as an overdue hiker, they turn this information over to the local media and they run with it. They do a whole report on this missing hiker. Bill Clawson, who had been the fellow who found all of her things on the trail along with the other guy, he calls the tip line immediately to let them know, hey, I saw this woman, this is what happened. And he was so concerned about what he had seen that he drove to the search headquarters to speak to someone in person. Right. So, I mean, that that just lets you know that what him and the other man observed out there on the trail and they, they saw, maybe, the, I don't know if the other man saw, but he saw her with this man, with this older gentleman. And then the scene where obviously when she went to kicking his damn ass, I'm going to guess this is where Hilton first encountered her coming back down the trail because his old ass couldn't keep up with her. And, uh, then, you know, and he had a significant scuffle and it caused, you know, a big obvious struggle uh, to take control of her. And so, I mean, it, that left a significant impression on him, obviously, because he's so concerned about her. And just judging from the timeline, it seemed like Bill Clawson had seen this news story, possibly like maybe the 11 o'clock news. It was fairly late at night. He hops in his vehicle, drives all the way to the search headquarters, and doesn't get there till about 3 a.m. Oh, so he literally, that evening... Calls the tip line, wow. gets off the phone, hops in the vehicle, and drives. And it sounds like it may have been like some hours, possibly, to get to the site. But he is determined he's going to speak to someone in person. This is not a tip that can get lost in the shuffle. Right. And he, in his mind, I'm sure, this is not an overdue hiker. You know, because... Yeah. Right. More people came forward after the news story aired with information about Meredith, her time on Blood Mountain, and the mystery man she was seen with. With the evidence, you know, the items that were tossed all around the trail, and the witness statements, authorities pieced together a likely scenario. Officials found a spot near where the items were recovered from the trail that appeared as though maybe Meredith had been tied to a tree there. Oh, okay. Officials released a person of interest request to the public. I guess they kind of did like a little sketch and all that. Description of the guy, John Tabor. You remember him from part one? Yeah, that was Gary's longtime uh, boss for a, a little over a decade. He had employed Hilton for many years, yes. He saw the story on CNN. He immediately felt this person was Gary Hilton. Right. He knew Hilton drove a white Chevy Astro van. He had his date of birth, the tag number. He knew Hilton had a dog. He knew everything. So he hears this description and all the information they can get about this, and every bit of it's spot on. Yes. He phones the information tip line, lets them know all the, you know, all the details Everything from, you know, Hilton's date of birth, the social security number, the tag number on this van. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation put out a be-on-the-lookout alert for Hilton. Hours after making the phone call to investigators, Tabor unexpectedly receives two phone calls from Gary Hilton. Oh, wow. January 3rd, Gary Hilton phoned Tabor to ask him for money. 
and requested that he leave a check at his business and Hilton would pop by and pick it up. Tabor, fearing Hilton might come to his house and hurt his family, complied. It was only later when the Georgia Bureau of Investigation called him back for like a follow-up phone call, the information he'd given, you know, they're just following up with him, that he reported what had happened, that Hilton had called him and won money. Yeah, right. Well, he claims if he had known Hilton had a hostage or this victim with him, he would have called police sooner. Yeah, that could have literally set a trap for him right there. And he did receive a lot of backlash and criticism and scrutiny for not immediately letting authorities know that Hilton had reached out. Well, I mean, that's easy for us to say, but he has a family to be concerned about. He knew Gary for a long time. He watched him devolve, really, you know, get weirder and, and, you know, stranger until the point where he was just like, get the hell away from here, my business, my family. And, uh, I, I, you know, I don't know. I, I don't think I could really judge that guy on that. He's he had been to in keep meetings as well, like this kind of whole day that Gary was like, I'm going to stop by the office, get money. He really yeah. wanted to just keep Gary Hilton away from his house and his family. He didn't want his wife or kids to have to deal with this guy. Right. He's a creep. He didn't have to reach out at all. He was, you know, in work meetings all day. He wasn't really going to be around the office to deal with it. The fact that he didn't immediately call cops, it's like, okay, well, you know, he's a busy man. He's yeah. got a business he's running, and I understand. If he's being an asshole, he would he would have been like, damn, that could be that crazy-ass Gary, but you know what? I don't want to be involved. And he could have ne- not reached out at all and gave them any information. But Meredith was still alive at this point, and had Tabor made that phone call, she may still be alive. I don't know. Well, uh, that's true. For the four days, she was held captive by Hilton in his van. She fought like hell. She did. Emerson, again, as we mentioned, trained in martial arts. So during this like whole time that Hilton has her in this van, she physically fought him, almost overpowering him several times. Yeah, it's like he could never relax around her. And uh, she kept giving him false, uh, a fake pin as well. She nearly got the best of him. Because she knew, I think in the back of her mind, as soon as she gave him the information he wanted, that, you know, That'd be it for her. And that was true. He had her debit card, and much like with the Bryants and Cheryl Dunlap, I mean, his plan was he needed money. He was going to rob these people, kill them, get their money, go. Yeah, so, I mean, that's just another aspect to his crime. Obviously, he's doing this. It's about power. He's getting some. I don't think it's just about money, right? And uh, he's getting some kind of satisfaction or whatever in his sick head satisfaction out of this but he definitely wants to get money on the backside of it but that was part of it is that meredith refused to give him the correct pen she would give him wrong pen numbers he would go out try them then would get like locked out have to wait 24 hours to go back try again right and she just kind of kept playing this game with him yeah but investigators would later describe her as a hero because she really did try her hardest to get away from him she really did after the four-day saga hilton would say he was ready for it all to be over he was exhausted he's 60 60 plus and fighting this 24 year old who's like fucking badass 24 year old spark plug superwoman yeah. yeah he was like fucking exhausted 
He tied Meredith to a tree, went back to his van, made some coffee, and then returned to the woman. Now, Meredith told him she didn't think he was coming back, which shows that Meredith assumed he was going to let her go. He would claim it was hard to kill her because they had spent some good times together. What a sicko. If his idea of good times include tying her up in his van, raping her, terrorizing her for days. Yeah, you should listen to him say this in his own words. My God. In the end, he couldn't kill her dog, Ella. Oh, wow. Such a dog lover. Damn. He released the dog about 60 miles from where he had taken Meredith, and they were able to find the dog. Oh, wow. I'm glad the dog made it. I'm glad the dog made it. I really am. Hilton killed Emerson, decapitated her, and just left her body in the woods. Can throw a human being away, treat him like a damn object. Especially after you're bragging that we spent some good times together. I mean, the way he speaks about her in interviews is almost like they had a relationship or like this was his girlfriend. Well, I think in his mind it was because, uh, you know, that they spent a, a few, three or four days together. Pretty intense days, I'm sure, from both of their perspectives. But at the same time, in his mentally ill mind, I think it was some type of reality. That's really how he talks about her. Like they were like, well, you know, I hated to do it, but, you know, it just kind of had to be done. You know, like we were just just getting to know each other as I tortured her for multiple days on end. Yeah, honestly, if you have the time, you must go to YouTube. Yep. Type in the Gary Hilton interviews. He likes to talk. They're hard to listen to. He does ramble quite a bit. There's literally hours. But, oh my God, just listening to this guy talk about her as if they were like a fucking couple, like getting ready for the damn, you know, fish under the sea dance or whatever together. I mean, it's just, it's fucking crazy. It's so delusional. He's such an asshole. He then went to clean up his van. It was soaked with blood, and there was other evidence in the van linking him to Meredith. I mean, she'd been in the van for four days. At a gas station, he was washing and vacuuming out this van when a man at the gas station recognized Hilton from TV, as well as the van's description. I mean, what do they say? If you see something, report it? Right. Wait, I don't think you can say that. Well, whatever it is. Because that's like linked to terrorism, and it's literally copyrighted by the government. Okay. Well, whatever. <laughs> Be whatever. aware. If you see something, report it kind of thing. Be okay, aware. So call that is somebody. what this guy was doing. He was like, fuck, this is probably the dude I'm going to call. Authorities arrive very quickly and they capture Hilton here right at the, the scene. No struggle. He was just like, okay, defeated. You got me. Pretty much. Just yeah. Didn't try to fight it. Didn't try to run. Didn't yeah. try to deny anything. Just like, okay, I'm tired. Take me in. Yeah, I say he was tired, asshole. And it's funny, there's audio of that 911 call. And that dude knows. He knows it's him. He is like, almost, I mean, he's excited just from aspect of helping and maybe being the person who's seen. But he just knows for a fact. And he's just like, hurry up. Get your ass here. That's the guy. This is the guy they're looking for. Inside a dumpster, officers found plenty of evidence linking Hilton to Meredith Emerson's disappearance. They find a blood-soaked fleece top, a piece of blood-stained seatbelt, and later it would all match Meredith's DNA. 
Yeah, he literally gathered all the evidence together and put it, you know, he's trying to get rid of it. He told investigators they could go back to Blood Mountain and exactly where they could recover his bayonet, which again had been used in the Cheryl Dunlap case. There are hours, as we mentioned, chilling interview footage out there. Yeah, I'll tell you one that led right quick. I'll tell you that left a mark on me. Um, Hilton was uh, is from a deputy's patrol car. He was parked on the side of the road somewhere. That area was now private property. He'd been told to leave by a couple of people. Then they called the cops, which we know how that goes when people buy up, you know, some of the public areas. And the deputy makes contact, talking to Hilton. He's carrying on and on about how much he loves the woods and he'd been through this area 18 years ago and wasn't, you know, was trying to get to some point and which goes, this is how he's always been, you know, driving around by, you know, kind of drifting around, loves the woods. And anyway, the deputy asked him, the back of his van's open. And he asked him if there's any, can he, mind if he looks around? And he's like, yeah, no, go ahead. And he uh, moves a couple of things. And he's like, any weapons in here? And he's like, oh, no. He's like, well, I got a collapsible police baton right there. But, you know, let's just keep that for personal safety. Nothing else to worry about. I was like, holy shit. That's the baton that he likely assaulted more victims with. But we know that it was involved in the Emerson case. That's the damn, I mean, for him to, and that's a true sign of a psychopath who can have these contacts with police without flip because cops are waiting for you to act weird or strange and you can just be cool, calm as a, you know, cool as a cucumber, talk to cops and you could literally have, he could have had a damn someone stuffed under the front side of that seat in that van and it wouldn't have bothered him one bit to talk to this cop it is really frightening to listen to this cold calculating murderer speak so calmly and frankly about the atrocities he committed against meredith and the other victims it's disgusting on the drive to florida because he was also wanted for questioning in the cheryl dunlop case he spoke the entire five-hour drive and it was all recorded in the back of this cop car wow and, I mean, he's been Miranda, you know, what is it called? Mirandized. You got it. <laughs> and, I'm proud of you. you know, he doesn't have a lawyer with him. He doesn't he ask for a talk. lawyer. He doesn't care. He just fucking chat, 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 chat. I mean, this guy, he would get on my nerves. I would be like, shut the fuck up, dude. Yeah, you piece of shit. Shut up. I don't want to hear you anymore. He also told other inmates that he felt no remorse about what he had done. He was just really sad he'd been called. Yeah, of course. But he admitted that. He's like, I don't fucking care I killed them, but I don't like being in jail. Yeah, and I probably wonder what happened to his dog. Now, he takes a plea deal to escape the death penalty in Georgia. He gave up the location of Meredith's body in return for getting a life sentence. But Florida was like, fuck you, Gary Hilton. We have the body. In 2011, he was convicted in the murder of Cheryl Dunlap, and he was given the death penalty. Yeah, they should have took him straight out behind the courthouse and shot him in the head. In North Carolina, he went to trial in 2012 for the murders of Irene and John Bryant and was given another life sentence. He's racked up a couple life sentences and is also on death row in Florida. Yeah, you reckon they're going to kill his ass? They fucking should. An odd side story to the Gary Hilton case before we wrap up. And this is about the First Amendment controversy that swirled around this case. 
Yeah, this is really interesting. Just, yeah, this is a very wild story. In 2010, Hustler magazine reporter Fred Rosen, who has published a very extensive, like a book, basically about Gary Hilton, probably one of the only, there's like just a handful of books that are written. I believe this is the only one written specifically about Gary Hilton. He's mentioned in a few other true crime books. But this guy really does a deep dive. Goes and interviews like multiple friends, family members. So, I mean, he's really trying to like put a story together. Right. He requests the Meredith Emerson crime scene photo and autopsy photos and reports as part of a records request with the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. But her family asked that this request be denied. A judge issued a temporary order restraining the release of the photographs and information. Quickly, Georgia legislators pass the Meredith Emerson Memorial Privacy Act, which prevents crime scene photos from being released if the victims appear nude, bloodied, with wounds, bruises, in broken states, dismembered, decapitated, yada, yada, yada. And Hustler stated they were going to pursue some legal avenues with this, but nothing really ever came of this. So it was all about the First Amendment, freedom of information types of things with Hustler. I think a lot of people are thrown. They might not be familiar with Larry Flint and his stance about about First Amendment rights. Yeah, right. But you kind of... Schooled me on that. Element. Yeah, he's. An, I was like, "What the fuck?" He's like an got to do ardent First Amendment rights supporter, and right. for years has fought censorship. What well beyond a, this? Well beyond just a porno mag, right? right? Right. I mean, he's a firm believer in the First Amendment, and it does bring up a good argument. I mean, as a reporter, I understand that crime scene photos are not necessarily like a deviant interest. Right. That like, oh, I just, I'm getting really excited to see these. Right? I mean, sometimes journalists need to see what happened in order to report on the story. Crime scene photos often help dispel, like, killers' confessions. We know serial killers lie. They are psychopaths, sociopaths. They are manipulative. They're going to paint themselves in a good light. Yes. They're not going to give you the absolute truth. No, they're not. So you really can't base your investigative report on what this person says, right? You need to see everything. That means you need to see the crime scene photos. You need to see the autopsy report. You need to see police notes, case notes, to be able to draw a factual conclusion on what actually happened. Well, you would think so. Also, I mean, these photos are public record because the court case is public record. Well, I think that's the crux of the argument there from the people who saying they should have access, access. But, I mean, you know, it's, it's a fine line. I mean, just from the point of view of the families and things, I understand why you wouldn't want this information out there. It's your loved one, and it's their worst, most gruesome, unimaginable state. But, I mean, that's just how evidence works. Well, when laws start restricting and limiting what is accessible, that opens a door for many restrictions on what we call free press in America. See, that's the thing. That's the slippery slope that you can't, you have to even stand up for things that you don't agree with. And that's where you get nowadays. 
people's like, I don't agree with what that person says. They should be censored online. They should be censored in the media. You can't. It don't work like that. It's a cornerstone of what makes America actually great, right? And you have to. I might not agree with what you're saying or doing, but I will fight till my death for your right to do so. Right. Right. I mean, I'm not the thought police. Right. And neither are you. And neither is that person. So you can't tell me what I'm allowed to say, what I'm allowed to think. Right. I mean, when we go down that road, that's that's not a good place to be. As soon as you open that door, the powers that be will seize that. And it's not going to be noble. It's not going to be done for the right reasons. And that's the end of all of it. So you just can't allow it to start for no reason at all. No and reason I understand the victim's family. Right. What they went through. I mean, it's terrible. But crime scene photographs and videos are available in almost every case in every state except for in Georgia, like with this. Right. And, uh, I mean, it's it's funny when something's this publicized and a kind of a hot-button issue, how quickly they can move a law or move les- legislation through a state house, you know, state senate and house. Isn't that amazing? Yes. But kids are still getting freaking, you know, abused and there's so many things that it seems like, oh, you know, it's a slow process, you know, but when they want to, when they're properly when they're motivated for whatever reason, they get this shit done fast. A lot of critics of this law and this first amendment issue also point out that they believe it was such a swift action because Meredith was a pretty, attractive, white female. Hey, I think all of us have listened, all us true crime fans aren't going to disagree with that. No matter what what you believe, your political leanings, or any of that, if you don't see the fact that someone can prey upon women of color, people of color, prostitutes the grim sleeper the grim sleeper he went undetected for decades and murdering black prostitutes underreported drug addicts and it's because nobody gave a fuck and guess what there how many look the grim sleeper up and see how many damn podcasts and how many damn times someone's covered his story and his his stuff is just as demented and horrible as the top 10 that we talked about People talk about a million times. I mean, you hear Ted Bundy constantly, but you rarely hear anything about this guy. And he was fucking crazy. I mean, just, he was it's crazy. It's a nut story. Well, he was killing him. He would, like, put him in the walls and under the beds. I mean, he just had dead bodies every fucking where, right? He was doing this creepy shit in front of his, like, son and his daughter, like, his uh, son's girlfriend. Yeah. And she felt like his behavior was there was some fucked up something going on. And, like. It's crazy. Yeah. There's a great documentary about him, and I think we saw it on Amazon Prime or Hulu. I think yeah. they maybe both have that, but check it out. Yeah, and the last podcast on the left has a pretty decent, uh, or actually has a great episode about this very concept of black serial killers, black victims. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's you what know, it's do? not an unknown fact that when the young white woman is abducted or is missing. The media jumps on it, and there's so much coverage. But if it's a black female in the same community, if it even gets reported on, you might find, like, one story, tiny blurb. Yeah. Two-minute mention, maybe. Wayne Williams, Atlanta child murderer. If I had been another neighborhood, a bunch of little white boys, 
little white girls, a white neighborhood being terrorized, it would have went completely different. Well, here we are being preachy, oh but I gosh. just pointed out because, you know, hey, they were really swift in getting this law passed. Hey, we're not going to let you see her crime scene photos, but she's also like a super attractive, popular, young white woman from, uh, you know, a good family and college graduate and oh she's got her whole life ahead of her kind of thing well you could even argue that um class matters there too well it does it's uh, not just a race issue it's, it's not a just class race issue because the poor little white poor white girls and boys or you know the trailer park girls the tra- yeah it happens down the trailer park just like it does up in the ghetto i've seen it myself i mean it's true it's true anyway we're on a soapbox we can't solve all the social issues of the day <sighs> here on mountain murders But that's been the story of Gary Hilton. And I think of all the murderers that we have covered to date, which, by the way, I think we have, this is like, I think, our 82nd episode, Dylan. Oh, my God. Yeah. Where's the episodes going? Out there to the people. It's like time flying. It is. And uh, you may notice, uh, I think you'll notice, uh, we have a new sound. Yeah, we do. We have. Uh, we we had new microphones installed. <laughs> it only took you a couple of days to figure those out. Well, we've bought, and uh, this is what patron uh, donations help us do: upgrade, improve quality, uh, help me le- do courses to learn how to hook the damn stuff up. And uh, so we hope we sound better, and we're going to continue to try to improve. We thank our patrons, and we thank everyone for listening. Yeah. Well, I was I was saying, this is like our, what, 82nd episode, which is amazing. I never thought we'd come this far, but I think Gary Hilton, he has, like, reached the pinnacle of, like, this guy's a fucking asshole, horrible guy, probably the worst that we've covered yet. He's a super asshole. There's loads of stuff on YouTube about him. You guys should listen and draw some of your own conclusion. You'll see. After just about 10 minutes of any of the videos of him talking, you'll be like, this narcissistic asshole. What a piece of shit. Yeah, he totally is. Someone needs to shank him with that bayonet. Oh my God, I can't believe we're paying a feed to son of a bitch. <laughs> I know. Anyway, we will be back soon with more true crime. We've got some great cases in the coming weeks, and we're very excited to bring those to you guys. Oh, we're dialing it up a notch. 